is risen. He is risen indeed. You know, that's really a shorthand way of telling the whole gospel story. And, and in fact, we're beginning a new series today, this one called Unashamed. And it's based on one verse in Scripture, Romans 1.16. It's on the back of your program. Would you get hold of one of these? And uh, I, I know that uh, Pastor Eric already helped us a little. There's, if you open the front cover, you can put your name. But I actually put my name out on the front because otherwise they all look the same. And uh, uh, what, really what we're giving you here is uh, something that is a gift that um, we're just wanting you to see we're enthusiastically in love with Jesus and we want you to join us in that love. We're unashamed of him and we want you to see that God is powerful and his word changes lives for the better. He can change yours too if you let him. And uh, this is our gift to you. We're, we're wanting you to, I mean, we could have given you just one page and instead gave you about 44, 45 pages here because the point is, uh, that we're going to be using this over the next six weeks. And we actually hope you put your name on it and use this for the next six weeks, bring it with you each week, and, uh, and have it, keep uh, adding to it. And so there's kind of three parts. There's the time in church together, and there's time in a small group. And if you're not in one, I, I would like you to join one for these six weeks. Or then also time, I think it's page four, that has, uh, talks about, well, not page four, page three with the coffee cup of saying, hey, how do you get in a one-on-one with somebody just where you pick somebody for the next uh, four, uh, five or six weeks and to talk about God's Word and uh, uh, what, uh, what you're learning, what, how you're growing and that kind of thing. So, and then if you do open the back cover, you can see some of the newest shots of the campus over in Dana Point. We are headed, I mean, great days are ahead and it'd just be more fun if you're going to be part of it. And uh, we anticipate that uh, we'll be back in there in the middle of July. And uh, so um, we wish it was sooner than that, but uh, we're going to stay patient. So those are some of the newest pictures of how the buildings are coming up and parking lots going in pretty soon. So turn to the back cover and uh, let's read uh, that verse together. Ready? This is kind of the theme verse. One, two, three, go. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1, 16. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's the, it's the good news. And it's the whole story of God giving us free choice, people going the wrong way. So he sent Jesus as the Savior, uh, as a, a blood sacrifice, as the atoning sacrifice for sin. Then Jesus rose from the dead uh, early on Easter morning, and that's proof that there's power in God's Word, that uh, God is able to speak the story. And Pastor Micah read us the story from Matthew 28 about how right on the Sabbath day, right after dawn, in the, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and uh, another woman named Mary went to the tomb, and there's a great earthquake, and an angel uh, of the Lord is there, uh, came from heaven, rolled back the stone, um, basically so people could see that Jesus had, had gotten out of there because he was alive. And uh, the angel's appearance looks like lightning, and uh, the guards are, are uh, so frightened that they become like dead men. And uh, the angel says to the women, don't be afraid because you're looking for Jesus who's crucified, but he's not here. He has risen. Come see the place. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> he has risen indeed. Come see the place where he lay. And then go tell his disciples. Go to Galilee that Jesus will meet them there. And um, so they departed. And uh, they're making their way there <clears throat> to, to find the disciples. And Jesus himself shows up and says, greetings. And they came and took a hold of his feet. And they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So here's the big idea today. God speaks, and God's word changes lives. God has the power. 
I mean, these women were followers of Jesus. They had served alongside of him, and they had cared for his physical needs. They had uh, made sure that he and all of his disciples were fed and had places to stay and, and had water and whatever their needs were. They had been there to watch Jesus die on the cross. They were grief-stricken watching him die. Now they're coming to want to show honor to his memory and to his body, so they come to the tomb brokenhearted and questioning, never expecting that God was going to speak, that Christ would rise from the dead. And they turn from the first mourners into the first evangelist, of the, telling the world's greatest news. Their lives were never the same because Christ is risen. I was trying to sneak that one in on you, but you, you still got me. Then you have the guards. I mean, these guards are just on duty, probably considered light duty, boring duty, you know. Uh, I mean, pr probably they're just weekend warriors. I mean, you're going to go, okay, what are you going to do? You're going to go stand here next to a grave. There's a dead guy inside. He, he, he told people that in three days he was going to come back alive. We don't think so. So just stand there. Just watch nothing happen. And um, so keep anybody from uh, uh, looting the tomb or taking his body and then claiming he's alive. But you know the story. God spoke, and uh, there's a great earthquake, and there's a flash of angels, and this huge stone just starts rolling away from the entrance all by itself. And these guards are so petrified, they become like dead men. I mean, their lives are never the same. Then you got this angel who came from heaven. They, the angel was up in heaven attending to whatever angels attend to in heaven and, and do around the throne of God. And then God speaks. And suddenly this angel is uh, tasked with a most important mission. Go down and remove that stone so that the human beings can see that Jesus is in there. He's alive. And tell his followers to meet Jesus in Galilee, 76 miles north of the tomb. Because Christ is risen. So Jesus shows up. And he actively, he catches his followers actively obeying his commands. Jesus, you see, is God. He speaks. He says, greetings. And his followers are petrified, and they bow down before him, and, and they bow down before him, and, and they touch his feet. He's real. This is not a dream. He's a real person. He's alive. He is risen. See, God speaks. He's risen indeed. God changes. His word changes lives. It's like there's an echo in here. Did you hear that back here? God's word changes lives and it's been true for a long time in fact you get all the way back to the beginning which if you went to the beginning of the Bible it would be Genesis chapter 1 and uh, so we're going to look there in a minute but you actually could go back even further than that because John 1 actually starts before the beginning of the world John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God in other words if you read the whole passage in John you will see that Jesus, the word is another name for Jesus that the word is God and God is the word it says, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made. That which was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, the, the Jesus is God, and he was there with God before the foundation of the world, before the universe was created. They were just enjoying each other's company. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is what we call them. They had other names, and one of Jesus' other names is the Word. And God speaks, and the world is created. And you, so when you start with the Bible, then the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, and God said. God spoke, and God said, 
let there be light, and there was light. And eight more times, just in chapter one of Genesis, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And each time he's creating something and speaking something into existence. And by the time it's done, God has created the entire world and the universe as we know it. And science is still trying to explore and to understand and to explain what God did with a word. Now, I think that we live in a time where there's a spin that kind of says, well, you can have a choice. You can be a simpleton and believe that uh, God, there's a God and that God created the world. Or you could get more educated and sophisticated and believe the universe and our world somehow just evolved. And you know, it's like we're pushed to only have those two choices. But I don't think that science and faith have to be in a tension with one another because all scientists believe something whether they recognize it or not, there are not all positions that are held by scientists. Can they be proved scientifically? There's certain givens that they just have to take, and they go on those assumptions even though they can't prove them. And so I've been reading this book. It's uh, The Problem of God by Mark Clark, and he has a chapter in here. Um, the subtitle is Answering a Skeptic's Challenges to Christianity, and I would recommend it to you. But uh, he has a chapter in here, Problem of Science. And he says, quote, Science has to come to terms with the fact that nothing it deduces about reality can really disprove the existence of God. And then he quotes uh, a Harvard professor, Stephen Jay Gould, probably was the most celebrated atheist, evolutionary biologist, paleontologist, and historian of science of the last generation, and understood this fact deeply. And yet, Dr. Gould would argue that, quote, nature just is. It just is. Now, that's one of those assumptions I'm talking about you can't really prove And uh, as a scientist. And he says, quote, we cannot use nature for our moral instruction or for answering any question within the magisterium of religion. To say it for my colleagues and for the umpteenth millionth time, science simply cannot, by its legitimate methods, adjudicate the issue of God's possible superintendence of nature. We neither affirm nor deny it. We simply cannot comment, comment on it as scientists. So I don't think science and Scripture have to be in conflict with each other. Science is asking and trying to answer questions like what and when. And Scripture's trying to answer questions like who and why. And the who is God and Jesus. And why? Because of love. And so, you know, when you look at the watch that's on your wrist, you don't wonder, well, how many million years did it take for this watch to evolve? You wonder or get asked, who made that watch? And an eye is so much more intricate than a watch. Something or someone had to get this universe started. And we believe that it started by the powerful word of God. God spoke it into existence. And how he went about it is a good question. And it's worth exploration and study. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, the sky, proclaims his handiwork. That it speaks on God's behalf. God's word is powerful. God speaks. And things happened. He created with a word. And God's prized uh, creation is the people that he made that he loves. He made a man and a woman. He created them in God's image. He created them for friendship and for love and for joy and relationship. He created them with a job to do. And God gave them a gift of free choice. They were free to be his friends or not. 
And there would be consequences whichever way you chose. There's a path, and they don't go to the same place. And God will hold us accountable for the choices we make, even still. So you review. God is powerful. He created the world. He created the universe with his words. Number two, God speaks powerfully to judge. In Genesis 2, the next chapter, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat it. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now, you probably already know the story. God gave them, put them in this perfect garden, these perfect people, perfect garden, gave them a job to do, said you can have everything except for the fruit from that one tree. People had a choice. Am I going to honor and obey God and live in a love relationship with God, or am I going to go my own way? I'm going to reject God's advice and counsel. I'm going to rebel against his word and take my chances. And people chose poorly. And left to ourselves, there will be hell to pay from the poor choices that we have made. See, God's word is true, and God made it clear you and I will not live in this world forever. People do not live forever. Your bodies are not designed to live forever. And when you die, you will step into the presence of God. The Bible says it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And the consequences of going our own way, the consequences of sin, are devastating. They include death, judgment, punishment. And we all deserve it. And without divine intervention, without God's help, there's no hope. You're on a collision course with disaster. So fortunately, God speaks, and his word changes lives. Now, I recently got an email from a man in Nigeria. And I know that's not quite like it sounds like. It's not like he was asking for my social security number so that he could put millions into my bank account. Maybe you've gotten that email. Okay, but he was telling a story of a man I'm going to call Paul. Paul, a Nigerian was anti-Christian. He was opposed to Christians. He persecuted Christians. He harassed, tortured, and imprisoned Christians. He even killed people just because they were Christians. It was his job. And in the process, he's thinking somehow he's serving God in his endeavor. One night, his wife, who had secretly become a Christian, says to him, you know, those people you're punishing are innocent, and you should stop it. Paul went off. He went into a fit of rage. He exploded over the top. He collapsed on the ground in the fit that he was having. He's having she thought he's having a stroke. And this is Nigeria. It wasn't here. There's not like there's a hospital. There's no 911 for him to call. And she's standing over him. She thinks he's either having a stroke or he's, he's, he's dying. And so she pours water over him, hoping to revive him. All the family gathers around him. They're wondering, what are we going to do next? And after about five minutes of just, what are we going to do? Paul sits up, and he's asked the most bizarre question. His wife never saw this one coming. He says, does anybody here know how to become a follower of Jesus Christ? This is a true story. And they go, What? He says, does anybody here know how to become a follower of Jesus Christ? And they said, we thought you were dead. We thought you were or having a stroke. He said, I'm not dying. I'm not having a stroke. But suddenly this man in a blazing white robe sat down right here next to me, and he said, my name is Jesus. Stop persecuting my followers. You need to ask me to forgive your sin, and you need to become one of my followers. So I'm asking, does anybody here know how to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, he was asking that question in a very dangerous part of the world where even in 2019, you can get killed for following Jesus. He was asking this, and he was the guy who was leading the killing squads against followers of Jesus. 
but he had heard a direct word from God, and his life has never been the same. Now, the guy who sent me the letter from Nigeria, the email from Nigeria, is named Peter. And Peter Fredheim will be here next Sunday at South Shores. So you want to be here because you can find out, did Ty tell a true, did, you know, was that a true story? Which, which it is. And so you don't want to miss it because Peter can tell you the whole story. What you're going to see, though, is that God's word is powerful. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And God doesn't want to condemn anybody. He doesn't find any special joy in that. God wants to be friends with people. That's why he created you. And he does give you a choice, and you could choose. And God broke into this man's life, into his home, into his consciousness, in, and God brought light into the darkness and gave him a real choice. And this man, Paul, did what Jesus commanded him to do. And it has cost him dearly. It's cost him his family. It's cost him his home. It's cost him his friendships. It's cost him his job. He's been on the run. They beat him up so badly he was in the hospital for over a month. And they kept trying to say, renounce this Jesus stuff. He says, I can't. He was in a blazing white robe. He sat right here next to me. He said, you're persecuting my followers. And he tells them the story over and over again. And he's, this man, Paul, is in love with Jesus today. So this brings us to our third point. Besides God speaking powerfully to create and God speaking powerfully to judge, I think God's favorite part really is number three. God power, speaks powerfully to save. He's to save. He's out seeking to save the people who are lost. And in John chapter 1, starting verse 9, John, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, in fact, he was convinced Jesus, he was Jesus' favorite. Right? Now, Jesus loves everybody, but John was sure, he loves me best, is what he, you know, what he says in his word. He called himself the one that Jesus loved. And in John 1, he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, John says, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God is so powerful, his words spoke the world into existence. And God spoke through Jesus Christ, his life and his miracles and his message and his atoning death on the cross. And here's the message he wants you to hear. God loves you. He's head over heels in love with you. And he wants a relationship with you. He wants a friendship with you. And God will forgive all of your sin and your shortcomings if you just ask him. I mean, you can't get rid of your sin on your own effort. There's no amount of good that you could do that will outweigh all the bad that you have done. So you need help in your cleanup effort. You need to receive Jesus and believe in his name. <laughs> not in your own. Let me tell you a story of another guy named Paul. He's not the one from Nigeria. This is the one who wrote half of the New Testament because he was a Jewish Bible scholar he was top of his class. He even persecuted Christians in the name of God. When he was, he was actually on a venture to go to the city of Damascus to round up and arrest people who their crime was becoming followers of the Jesus way. When God knocked him off his high horse with a blast of light and he heard the voice of God. So here's what it says in Acts chapter 9, starting verse 3. 
Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Saul went to the city blinded. He, he fasted and he prayed for three days. God sent a, a, a man to him and did a miracle and opened his eyes. His name was changed from Saul to Paul. And here, here he had been charging off in one direction. And Jesus basically came and took charge of his life, in charge of his heart, and sent him 180 degrees different. Paul turned from being somebody who was persecuting Christians to becoming a Christian, somebody who was... Uh, uh, passionately pursuing people and putting them to death just because they love Jesus, to be passionately inviting people to follow Jesus and to join together with other believers and start churches and gather and worship like we have been doing today, thanking Jesus for what he has accomplished, that he has come as God's son into this world and offered us salvation because of what he did on the cross. Do you know later, Saul, who became Paul, wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Now that shows how God speaks and how he's powerful to save. This is the same guy who from prison wrote our theme verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. See, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. What Jesus did on the cross was to pay your debt so that the communication line is now open, the way is available for you to have a relationship with God. He's not going to force you because he gives you free choice, but he loves you and sure hopes you say yes. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And once we're reconciled, God entrusts to us that what's called the ministry of reconciliation, that we have the good news. Share it with somebody. That's what we're hoping you do in this, of get the good news and go share it with somebody. Just sit and have conversation. Read God's word together and to pray and to say, God, what are you trying to tell us? And that's what Paul was about. He was telling the story. In fact, in an earlier letter to the same church, he wrote this. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Scriptures are God's word. That Christ was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, which is another name for Simon Peter, who's the one who denied Jesus because he was afraid. And then to the 12. Those are Jesus' closest friends. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Now, in the Bible, it's mentioned Joseph and Mary, of course, had Jesus, and then they went on to have other children, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and some, some uh, daughters as well that are not named. And uh, James didn't believe Jesus when he was growing up, and Jesus came and preached in Nazareth, and it went so poorly, they got so mad, they grabbed Jesus, they took him to a cliff, they were going to throw him off, and Jesus left town instead 
and left his family there. And then James led the brothers to come down to where Jesus was, Sea of Galilee, to take him home because they thought he was crazy. And later, James is quoted as mocking Jesus of, well, if you're going to be so important, you better get down to the feast in Jerusalem. Show yourself to the world. And so it wasn't until Jesus had died on the cross and come back from the dead and then went and found James and had this special little private interaction with him that James finally became a believer and a leader in the church. And we think wrote the book that's called James, which basically says, walk your talk. You know, don't just talk about it. Actually live what it means to be a believer. It says, and then he appeared to the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I'm the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. That's all of our story, isn't it? I was going my own way. God brought his word into my life. I had that moment of crisis of, what, am I going to follow Christ? Am I going to keep going my own way? I hope that you turn and turn towards Christ and fall in love with him and come and walk the Jesus way together. God speaks powerfully to save those who are willing to let go of their own agenda and follow God's way. And then fourth, God speaks powerfully to change us, to change us. God's word demands a response. And Paul was able to say, here's who I was. I was pretty proud of myself. But whatever I had going for me, I counted as loss so that I might gain Christ. See, the big idea is that God speaks and his word changes our lives. So if God could show up and speak to Paul the Nigerian in 2017 and change him from being a Christian persecutor into a fully devoted follower of Jesus, into somebody who's given up everything he held dear, God's word is powerful. Because Paul, you see, received forgiveness and peace in his heart. And he's not willing to let go of that. If God, if God could show up and speak to Paul the Jew in the year zero and change him from being a Christian hater into a Christian midwife giving birth to churches and books of the Bible, from being so proud of himself and his pedigree and his heritage and his accomplishments into somebody who's traveled the world sharing the good news of Jesus, forsaking everything, and camping out in one prison after another so that he could share the joy of the Lord. God's word's powerful. Now, it's hard to voluntarily change. We have change forced on us, but then there's changes that you can choose. And the only reason you would change, choose to change, which is high risk, is because you think you can do better. And you're willing to let go of what's familiar to reach out to take a hold of what would be better. And God is saying to be right with God is a great reason to let go of what you have to reach what he's going to offer us. The big idea is that God speaks and God's word changes lives for the better. So let God change your life. You know, if you're looking for change, real change, then I suggest looking at God who created everything. And if you're looking for change and there's a God who's demonstrated power over death, well, then where else would you go? Don't you think he has power enough to change your life if you asked him? So let's ask him today. See, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for what you have accomplished. Coming into this world, inviting people like us to follow you, dying on the cross, and then not staying dead. You've got the power. 
and you can speak worlds into existence. You can speak people into, uh, into a crisis that, that leads to faith and forgiveness. So I pray that you'll be working in our hearts as well. May we give our hearts completely to you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself completely to us. Thank you for being risen from the dead. Amen.